0: at LuckyLandSlots.com.
1: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions supply.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to
2: a turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one today we got two really great guests the first one is a legend thankfully I was able to get a couple of minutes of his time just as he was getting ready to head out the door and fly out to Indianapolis for the scouting combine but before that I wanted to pick his brain a little bit on what he thinks the Jets should and will do in the 2019 offseason and it's good because he'll give me a national perspective we've been having mostly local reporters and local personalities on people that are Jets fans or follow the Jets exclusively so he has a fresh perspective to offer he's a 16 year veteran of sports illustrated now covering the nfl over at patriots.com i know i know it's the patriots but we love them anyway mr don banks don thanks so much for coming on man
3: thanks scott i thought sure you'd lead with the fact that i contribute to the athletics so that your jets listeners didn't uh tune out immediately but i appreciate it uh how you doing good to be back with you
2: Oh, it's great, man. This is the most exciting time of the year if you're a Jets fan. <laughs> <You know?
3: laughs> I with the, suppose.
2: With the Patriots, it's different. You get excited around the Super Bowl. With the Jets, you get excited after the Super Bowl. So there's free agency. There's the draft. There's the new coach. The general manager sticking around. So let's start with all of that with the general manager and the coach. What do you think from the outside about Mike Mcagnan sticking around, and what do you think about the hiring of Adam Gase? You know, I was thinking about
3: Gase today, and in in all reality, three years ago, he kind of was what the league is looking for now, right? I mean, he was kind of a version of the Sean McVay, the quarterback whisperer, comes out of the assistant coaching ranks with with a a reputation. For being able to work with quarterbacks, get the most out of quarterbacks, um, not only in Denver, but in Chicago. So it's funny. He has success his first year in Miami. It looks like all arrows pointed up. And then the last two years go sideways. It's, it's the Jay Cutler year, uh, which felt like treading water from, from the minute Tannehill went down in August. And, and then last year was the Tannehill comeback and it, it just felt like that team Went out and and took the wrong approach in free agency. Loaded up on a bunch of veterans that were thirty plus, and 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 really never came together on the field. So I'm trying to see the the glass half full with Gase, and I think you know what people that were ready to give up on him, it's probably premature based on the last two years in Miami and some some extenuating circumstances i don't think he did a great job to be honest in miami i think he i think he had that classic first uh coach head coaching opportunity that went um threw curveballs at him and he did not get the bleeding stopped when he had to so i i am i'm not down on the hire and i'm not entirely high on the hire i just feel like you know what he's he's probably closer to the guy that came in with fresh eyes and a fresh start and got the Dolphins, a pretty mediocre team, to 10-6 and six and into the playoffs. Um, and let's be honest, Scott, rookie coaches for the Jets. This is one of my favorite stats. You can put them down. They're going to win nine or ten games. You, Todd Bowles went 10-6, and six, and I know he missed the playoffs with that Week 17 loss at Buffalo. I was at that game. Uh, for Sports Illustrated a bunch of Jets fans thought they were going to play off clinch that day and party all night Um, but you know everybody Rex Ryan um, everybody that's been through there uh, has has won early and I'm going to I'm going to quiz you do you know the last Jets first year coach who didn't have a winning season at least a winning season
2: of course, I know the answer to that, Rich Kotite. <laughs> Rich type <Cotite.
3: laughs> with with a sterling three and thirteen, I want to say in '95 maybe or '96 somewhere in there, and then he went one and fifteen afterwards. But it's it's a given, you know. Herm Edwards, Bill Parcells, even Al Groh had his nine and seven and out. Um, uh, it, it, it's amazing how many guys have come in and and won early. So from that perspective you know, prepare for nine or 10 wins and and first year success for Adam case. But, um, I give it a, I give it a, a, a a decent shot of having some success, but, uh, he's not the Adam Gase reputationally that he was three years ago coming into this job.
2: And he's going to need some help from Mike McKagnon. Who's going to be picking the players and doing things in free agency. Things haven't gone so well for McKagnon so far, you think that the Jets made a mistake keeping him, or do you think he can turn this thing around? I guess
3: I thought he deserved one more shot, but the, but the, you know, the blueprint of kind of having a coach and a, and a GM on kind of separate and parallel tracks answering to the owner didn't really work so well with Todd Bowles. And hoping that the, the, the lines of authority is, is better now and that this system works a little bit better. McCagnon has had some nice moments and he's had some misses, obviously. I think he deserved one more year and I think he deserved to get a guy that he wanted in there and, and, and let's see if the marriage works. A lot of times, um, a second, <laughs> a second go around goes a little bit better for a GM. Again, he was kind of learning the ropes the same time Todd Balls was. It feels like a little bit like the Gace, um hiring to me. It feels like I'm not, I'm not down on it, but I'm not in love with it either, and I'm certainly not convinced Mike McCagnin's going to be long-term in the job.
4: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A
0: laundry?
1: Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: You mentioned how. Jets first-year head coaches tend to have success, and the last two of them, part of the reason that they had first-year success is because they were able to go out and spend kind of wildly in free agency. If you remember, the Jets went out and they got Bart Scott in 2009, Jim Leonard. They were bringing over those guys Mm -hmm. from Baltimore with Rex Ryan, and then, of course, with Todd Bowles, it was basically an entire new secondary that was brought in with Cromartie and Darrell Revis and Buster Screen, and there were some other key additions that were made and so I think that is part of why they had a lot more success in 2015 than 2014. I assume we're going to see something similar this year because the Jets have a boatload of cash to spend. We'll save Le'Veon Bell for the end. I wanted to ask you what you thought about who the Jets could and should target, and especially Trey Flowers because obviously you write for Patriots.com, so what would you think about the Jets going after him?
3: He's what you want. He's a younger... (laughs) pass rusher and it seems to me that he's going to be one of the more sought after players on the market this has been um a trend for a while now that patriots players never really go anywhere else and perform the same at the same level as they do in new england so kind of buyer beware and, and and have your eyes open on that i i want to talk first and foremost um about antonio brown i I would throw my body in front of McGgin if I'm a Jets fan and ask him not to go there. Um I think it's I think it's absolutely the wrong guy bringing in to a situation you hope that is it, it, starting fresh with a young quarterback who you definitely don't want to bring a lot of negativity around and you want to have somebody that is not in his ear every time he's not getting the football to his liking. I couldn't think of a much worse move. Um, as spectacular a playmaker as Antonio Brown is, I just think he'd be an absolute wrong, um, mix to the, to the locker room. And, you know, they're trying to set a new tone of, of more, more discipline and more commitment. And I, I can't imagine anybody worse. Now, Bell, he is such a talent that, again, I'd be a little, I'd be a little wary that it was a, a guy that was really kind of all about Le'Veon Bell the last couple of years, bringing him into the locker room. But I could be convinced that he is that special player that that could really help Darnold um, you know, to the next level by taking a lot of the offensive spotlight and the burden away from him. But um, m- more interested in then going out and getting guys – I see today that Don, uh, Dante Moncrief was targeted as a guy that might be potentially in their in their market. A guy like that—that's um, where you you when you have successive free agency, you're usually getting a guy that is still kind of on the way up, and and not a guy that you know is is just getting that that big money contract post thirty.
2: So you think they're better off going after some under the radar free agents and trying to get value as opposed to going for the big splash?
3: I do. I do. And I understand that w- what market they're in. And I understand they have a what it what it is a hundred million dollars a cap room, something crazy, right? Mm-hmm. It's cr- it's nuts um, how much money they have to spend. But um I just don't think that that track record has ever really worked out. And, you know, what worries me again is the case last year in Miami, kind of in a a little bit of a desperation mode went out and tried to get all these "quote unquote" leaders, um, you know, and Amendola and Gore, uh, Josh Sitton. Uh, it tried to get guys and seed the locker room with with veterans who had been there and done that. And most of them broke down, and most of them spent a good amount of the year injured. Um, and they didn't get bang for the buck. And I that's that's what you don't want to do in a free agency by and large.
2: Don, what do you think about the draft? The Jets have the third overall pick. Anybody there that you think that they'd be wise to pick if they're available, and do you think that trading down would be the wise move, or would you prefer to sit at number three?
3: no I think they. I think they sit because I think the need at defensive line is perfectly hand in glove with the strength, obviously, of this this draft and 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 the top of the draft. Um, you know, Quentin Williams, the Alabama defensive tackle, makes a lot of sense to me. I think Greg Williams, could, the new defensive coordinator, could have a a, a great plan for him. Um, and I think given the personnel losses that the Jets have had in the past few years, that's a guy that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess I'd listen to Josh Allen as well. Um, some people are divided on on whether or not he's ready to contribute from day one. And at number three, you certainly want somebody to walk in uh, and be instant impact as a rookie, but presuming that Bosa is not going to be there at three, which I kind of believe at this point pre combine, um, I, I think they sit and take you know take a pick in the strength of the draft, knowing that you know you don't want to be in the top five any other time in in the near future.
2: You think anybody makes a big move up to get a quarterback? I think it's
3: possible. I think Miami, you know, is a team that really um, if they could if they fall in love with Kyler Murray, I think they're going to have to move probably at least into the top 10. But this isn't, you know, this isn't last year's quarterback class and there's not going to be four in the top 10 and Lamar Jackson made 5 in the first round. Um there's probably four guys that are going to squeak in, but I I really don't think people are going to go up for um you know, uh, Daniel Jones uh, of Duke. So it's it's probably um, it's probably Murray that is that, you know, that X-factor um, figure in this draft. People are going to try to figure out if he's yeah, if he's large enough to stand the wear and tear, and how special an athlete he is. And I think you could see you could see Jacksonville or the Dolphins, obviously with both strong quarterback need, um, sitting there and and looking at that guy as is is he the face of our franchise? Can we? make him the CEO of our team and and, um, toss him the keys um, confidently. And if if they walk out of the um, scouting, the long, arduous scouting process convinced, I could see either one of them getting aggressive and moving up.
2: Don, last question for you. As an outside observer and somebody who obviously is close around Patriots quarters, having looked at Sam Darnold and now had a few months to step back from it, What are your thoughts on him? Do you think he's going to be a formidable foe for the Patriots for years to come? And do you think that he has that in him to become a franchise quarterback and maybe the guy that takes the mantle from Brady at some point as the best quarterback in the AFC East?
3: I do think he's the real deal. I do think he he showed me enough and he showed people um, in the league enough at the beginning and at the end that they see the potential. It's about putting him in winning situations. By that, I mean chances or situations where he has a chance to truly compete. And he's not he's not drugged down by the players and the personnel around him, or the situation, or the coaching. If he can get in the a conducive environment for you know to bring out his best, and you know if he responds, and I think he probably will to Gase's coaching. Um, Gase again, Gase has had a pretty good track record. I think he he viewed. Tannehill is a bit of an enigma that he never could quite get the most out of but he didn't really have him healthy for long i really think i think donald's looked at it as a guy that it's not you're going to look back and you're going to say that that was a pick that stands the test of time where he emerges in the division let's see let's see let's see who miami's next quarterback is let's see josh allen if he takes a step in Buffalo, because he had flashes as green as he is, but I think most people feel pretty good about Darnold um, and know that unless he gets somebody that messes him up, he's going to be um, he's going to be a quarterback to have to deal with for quite a time quite a time in the AFC East.
2: I always say when you think of national football writers, there's three names that automatically pop into your head, or at least they do for me: Albert Breer, Peter King. And the man who joined me today, Mr. Don Banks, a 16-year veteran of SI, now over at Patriots.com and The Athletic. Really glad that he was able to take a few minutes to join me. Don, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. For anybody that doesn't know where they can find your work, and I can't imagine who that would be at this point, why don't you go ahead and let them know?
3: It's at Don Banks on Twitter, um, and I, I try to throw my stuff out on Facebook. Uh, just search my name uh, as much as possible, as well. And thanks again for the chat, Scott. And um, I'm on my way to Indy, and we'll see how much um, how much the NFL world changes in the next four or five days as we get a first real look at the 2019 draft class.
2: I have a feeling your head's going to be spinning all week.
3: <laughs> Usually is. There's a lot going on in Indy these days. So um, good to catch up with you. We'll talk again, all right?
2: Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks, Don. Have a safe trip and a good flight.
3: Thanks, Scott. Be well.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
4: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office
2: Next up, we're doing a lot of Le'Veon Bell talk this week, so let's talk to somebody who's covered Le'Veon Bell for quite a few years. He is the Pittsburgh Steelers beat reporter for Penn Live, and I'm glad that he was able to take a few minutes to discuss his time covering the great running back, Mr. Jacob Klinger. What's going on, Jacob?
5: Not a whole lot, you know, just uh, eagerly awaiting the beginning and the end of NFL free agency like the rest of us.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much where I think most of us are at, especially Jets fans, because the Steelers have, for the most part, pretty good infrastructure, whether they move on from Antonio Brown, who knows, and I know the Le'Veon Bell thing is kind of circling, but you got Ben Roethlisberger, you've got a team that's had a pretty fair amount of success over the last bunch of years. The Jets, on the other hand... They're looking towards this with bated breath. They've got $100 million to spend. The draft is coming up. They have the number three overall pick. And so with the $100 million to spend, Jacob, one of the guys that everybody assumes they're going to target is the former Steelers running back, Le'Veon Bell. So real quick before we get into when you started covering the team in 2015, just a little bit of background on Bell. He went to Michigan State. And in his final year, which was his junior season, he had a phenomenal year, 1,753 yards, had his pro day at Michigan State, and the only NFL head coach that showed up there at the pro day was, you guessed it, Mike Tomlin. So there had to be some sort of special connection there from the beginning. Going even to now, when things have been a little strained with the Steelers, Jacob, did you see something between Tomlin and Bell that indicated that that bond that they had ever since he showed up at Bell's Pro Day all those years ago, was still intact to at least some degree? I saw
5: a lot of respect for Tomlin from Bell. Uh, I think that's the case with uh, a lot of players on that team. The the way Tomlin does things, he doesn't tend to elaborate on his relationships with players, and, and there's only so much you can see. I know people thought uh, his like little sideline celebrations and handshakes and stuff were like epic, but... Uh, I mean, there's, there's something to it is what uh, I'm saying, but at some point money talks and and no amount of collegiate friendship can can change that. So, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're good, but um, I think I could say the same about Mike Tomlin and, and a lot of players who are not as good as Le'Veon Bell, too.
2: Bell was picked in the second round of the NFL Draft In 2013, and the only running back picked ahead of him was Gio Bernard, who was picked 37th and went to the Cincinnati Bengals. 2013, he started out injured, and this would become a little bit of a trend. We will see some injuries pop up with Le'Veon Bell. Over the years. So he ended up not starting the season until the third game of the year, and that was at Wembley Stadium, where he had a pretty nice debut 57 yards on 16 carries and two rushing touchdowns. As the year wore on, Redmond ends up getting cut. Bell ends up picking his performance up more and more and more to the point where he breaks Franco Harris' rookie record for total yards from scrimmage with 1,259 yards. Now, Jacob, I know you weren't covering the team at the time, but that's pretty damn impressive for a rookie, isn't it? Yeah, it's
5: always funny what happens with rookies, you know? Like, they either either do a little something or or quite a bit of something and it gets people very excited about, you know, the rest of their career. Or they sort of just kind of ease into it and, you know, in the absence of, of some incredible playmaking or statistical output, people tend to decide that, well, they, they must be a boss so they weren't quite worth it. Uh, when, you know, if you look back at, you know, the history of not just, not just the Steelers, but the NFL, there's a lot of guys who had, you know, quiet rookie seasons and, and went on to have Hall of Fame careers. But
0: no, I mean, the, the
5: hype around Bell has been real to the extent that it's existed, uh, you know, pretty much since, since we got out there and, and started doing the things. So. A very curious career. I really, I would, I, I would write that book.
2: Could be an interesting book to write someday. That book is still to be written, though, because we are not at the end. At least we assume we're not at the end of the Le'Veon Bell story. But in the second year of his career, this is right before you came in to cover the team. He had a phenomenal year. He went from rookie to All Pro in his second year. His yards per carry was four point seven, which is. Absolutely phenomenal, and he had multiple games where he had over 200 yards of all-purpose, and this is where we really started to see Le'Veon Bell turn into that incredible dual threat that we know about. Multiple 100-yard rushing performances, multiple 200-yard all-purpose games. Now he's becoming an elite player, so let's talk about this a little bit, Jacob. He's known now for being a dual threat and being arguably the best one in the entire league. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from that aspect with Le'Veon Bell since you've been covering the team.
5: I mean, this is this is the point in his career where if you're the uh, if you're the Rams with Todd Gurley, he's talking about a contract extension, right? And 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 the conversation that you and I are, are having wouldn't make sense for us to be having had that been the case. So that's the way I, I sort of look at these things in retrospect. But yeah, no, I mean there was there was there was a time and there may still be a time when Le'Veon Bell uh was the most literally impactful player on, on any given NFL field that he could step onto.
2: You came in and started to cover the team in 2015. And I think you might have been a little bit of bad luck for Le'Veon Bell because this is when he gets his first suspension. He was with Le'Garrette Blunt, got a DUI and marijuana possession charge in 2014. But the suspension comes in 2015. It's supposed to be the first four games of the season but ends up being three instead. And we're going to get back to the suspension aspect of this in a little bit. You told me something interesting before we recorded that I wanted to get into about possible future suspensions and what he might be facing and what he might not be facing. But he comes in week three. He has another fantastic year again getting to the point where he's at an all-pro level. He was ranked 41st by his fellow players on the NFL's Top 100, but the downside here is that on November 1st, 2015, Bell suffers a season-ending torn MCL during the second quarter against the Bengals after taking a tackle from Vontez Perfect. So let's talk about this a little bit first. Vontez Perfect, memory serves, this was a bit of a dirty hit, right?
5: The hit itself was like probably not needed. I think the thing that angered a lot of Steelers and Steelers fans is the celebration afterward But it was clear that the player was hurt and perfect, you know, tore off the sideline and ran, you know, 20-some yards up and into the field and, and seemed quite excited about the fact that that was hurt. And, you know, as you talk to Steelers over the years, they've had a lot of very good and, and no ultimately great in terms of winning the Super Bowl teams, as long as I've been covering them. A lot of them will look back and say that 2015 team uh, was probably their best. And their best chance at at winning a Super Bowl. Um, obviously, Bell not playing half the season really really put a damper on that. And then they were still close. They still lost to the the Broncos by not much in the AFC divisional. And as we know, the, the Broncos went on to win Super Bowl that year. So um, all of these things look incredibly different in, in hindsight. But uh, that aspect of it, I would say, remains intact because it felt like a blow to a title run line, and it. And it feels like uh, at least one of the nails in that coffin now.
2: Jacob, one thing I neglected to mention was that at the end of the 2014 season going into the playoffs, Bell got hurt again and ended up missing the playoff game. The team had to sign Ben Tate to come in and replace him. So now this is <laughs> the right. third straight year where he's dealing with an injury. This is the most serious one, but remember, his rookie year, he missed the first three games because of injury. His second year, he ends up missing the playoff game because of an injury. Then this year, 2015, he ends up missing a significant portion of the season because of a major injury. So at this point, are people starting to wonder a little bit about his durability? Um,
5: I know the Steelers hang Ken Colbert was talking about this last year, the Steelers GM made clear they weren't particularly concerned with, with the living about injuries because they weren't, um, you know, chronic injuries. They weren't things that just like, Oh, the knee was sore, the foot was sore, the ankle was sprained. They were all the result of acute actions on a given joint. He recovered from all of them very well. So I know it's something that NFL fans have this perverse allegiance towards like, um, advocating for their ownerships and lesser salaries, uh, uh, for players, like whenever push comes to shove, uh, and, and it boggles the mind, but, in in this case, you know, like that's kind of one of those those false narratives that I see getting bandied about by fans. Like the injuries, you know, if the general manager didn't care about him, and it's his job to manage the team's salary cap, and he had every opportunity to like utilize reporters to further that that narrative, and he didn't. Like, I don't think Kevin Colbert's just a super nice guy to on Bell. Like, if he's not buying it, in this case, I'm I'm not going to either.
2: This is
1: the Overtime
2: Podcast Network. We've seen a pattern here with the injuries, but we've also started to see a pattern with suspensions, because for the second straight year, Bell starts the season suspended. This time, it turns out that it's because he missed numerous random drug tests the previous December. He gets suspended for four games, but it gets reduced to three on appeal so two parts to this question the first thing is at this point are people starting to worry a little bit about him being a big problem off the field because one suspension okay fine two of them now we're starting to get into some shady territory and the other part of this is you had mentioned to me off of the phone that it's your understanding that if something were to happen to bell again he wouldn't jump into that next tier where he'd end up having to miss a season or something like that So if you're a Jets fan and you're somebody who's worried about possible suspension or escalation of it, that is something that would be a big sigh of relief, obviously, if the Jets were to sign him and he wasn't basically facing the possibility of some major suspension for something like this. So tell me a little bit about what the thoughts were at the time with the suspension after the second one, and then talk to me a little bit about what you were explaining with future possible suspensions.
5: Right. So first things first, Uh, it was my understanding that he – he just happened to miss a test in december and the way the nfl um from uh program works once you're in it uh a missed test is treated as a failed test um and and you can sort of finagle some of those things in in uh in arbitration but um so I, I don't think he missed multiple tests in in that instance uh though if you get to that point obviously you have to have like multiple violations but in december itself i think he just missed the one and at that point he was um he was, he was rehabbing, so yeah. Uh, anyway, it was also reported uh, after the suspension was finalized on appeal. Should he receive another a similar violation, he would not be bumped up to a 10-game suspension, but would remain at the 4-game suspension level. So, yeah, there, there's that in play, but again, this is one of those things where the Steelers, who had every reason to float the idea of being concerned about this, explicitly said that they were not concerned about this, setting aside for the the second that, like, the NFL substance abuse policy with respect to marijuana is stupid and pointless and stems from, like, hundreds of years of stigmatizing and criminalizing a relatively innocuous herb. Uh, but I wouldn't be that concerned if I was a Jets fan. The Steelers front office wasn't. And they didn't even pretend to, even when it's to save the of money.
2: We've now noticed two patterns. Le'Veon Bell getting in trouble getting suspended. Le'Veon Bell getting hurt either at the beginning or the end of a season. But here's a third pattern, Jacob. Him coming in and taking the world by storm because he did that again in 2016. Having just a fantastic season. Going all the way through the year and ending up as the number ninth ranked player by his peers on the top 100 list. Despite missing 4 of 16 games, he still finished 3rd in the NFL with 1,884 yards from scrimmage. And he started his first playoff games that year because remember, the first time the Steelers made the playoffs when he was there, he wasn't able to go and Ben Tate had to be brought in to take the carries. Well here, we know what happened. Le'Veon Bell had two just absolutely monster playoff games. He had 29 carries for a playoff franchise record, 167 yards and two touchdowns in a victory over the Miami Dolphins in the first round. In the second round, it was even better, 30 carries, 170 (laughs) yards. So he's just destroying everybody. But then, of course, we know what happened against the Patriots. He ends up sustaining that injury and then not able to make it through the rest of the game. The Steelers end up faltering, and they end up losing the game. Two things that I wanted to ask you about with this. First of all, at this point, it really seems like Le'Veon Bell is the engine that's making this team go, and that as long as he's performing at a high level, they're going to win, and if he's not in, they're going to have a lot of trouble. The other thing I wanted to ask you about here is that there were reports that Bell had been dealing with this nagging injury for weeks and was playing with it anyway, and the pain just got to be too much to bear at a certain point in that Patriots game. Is that how you remember this?
5: Uh, I remember the reports. I remember that he came into the game, seemingly got hurt, went out of the game, went back into the game, and was wildly less effective. You know, like you said at that time, he was one of the most you know dominant players in the NFL, and and I would argue the Steelers may not have made the playoffs in a couple of those seasons without him. I'm fairly certain of it. When when we're talking about the 16th season, yeah, I don't think they would have made the playoffs without him. But um, however you cut it, there's really only one player with his skill set in the league. And I don't know what shape he's in right now. But, yeah, he's, he's played through some injuries and, you know, dealt with, with this side of third. But I, I haven't seen any other players who can do what he does. And and at the start of that playoff run, I mean, it was just silly. It was just comical. He was just comically better than everyone else.
2: And that is probably why the Steelers decided to franchise tag him in 2017. So let's talk about this a little bit before we get into what happened that season. Was there any kind of resistance or backlash from Bell's camp at the time when he was franchise tagged? Because obviously, we know what happened when they tried to do it a second time.
5: No one likes to be franchise tagged. Like every player, just like wants to get the multi-year contract with the guaranteed money. Because the way the NFL under the current Collective Bargaining Agreement is set up, you basically suppress players' wages for three to four years. If you're a first-round pick, you you get a little bump in year five, but the rest of the rest of the way, I mean, I think I think at the time the the money he was getting in that franchise tag year was like way more than he'd made in salary the whole previous four years combined. So, it, but it, you're right; it wasn't it wasn't as big of a deal as it was obviously this year where he said, "Forget it, I'm not playing." Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there was there was resistance to it, but I think they got to the bargaining table in in July and and seemingly got close close enough that multiple reports said that. Bell's mom was like, I you should have signed the deal and Bell was like, Nah. Uh so it definitely was not what it is now That And I really, I really thought going into this past offseason season they were gonna work something out. And I know Bell said a couple of things about them feeling like they were closer than they were in years prior. But um it could change the game for NFL front offices.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. We're gonna see how that works out once free agency hits this year. But we'll get back to that in a little bit. First, let's talk about the 2017 season. This is the first, and to this point, because he skipped 2018, as we're going to talk about in a bit, The first and only time that he began the season, week one, and it was another tremendous season for Bell. He ends up being a first-team All-Pro. He leads the league with 321 carries for 1,291 yards, had nine rushing touchdowns, along with 85 catches for 655 yards and two receiving touchdowns. So we talked about him being a dual threat, but at this point, he's basically turned himself literally into half-wide receiver, half-running back, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was kind of one of those like very like media family points of contention that it got circled around. But 2016, the Steelers' second leading receiver, who was actually a receiver like played that position, was Eli Rogers, and a guy they had previously gotten undrafted in, in 2015 and then sat out the year on IR. Get him ready, Martavis Bryant had uh, had been suspended. Uh, I think Marcus Wheaton left in, in free agency at that point, or no, he was he was injured. He supposedly was, was their number two receiver. So when he was saying he came to me like the number two receiver, they were playing him like a number two receiver. And he was doing a very good job
2: of it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Jacob, let's talk now about where things seem to start to go wrong here in the relationship. And that is when Bell comes out on January 11th, 2018, and says that if the Steelers tag him again, he would consider sitting out an entire year or even retiring As you had mentioned, he had reportedly turned down a two-year deal for $30 million a year before, the one that you said that his mother was encouraging him to take. He says he's not concerned about making the most money possible, but he wants to be paid in relation to his value. Now, I understand that, but you could see here where people would say, why are you popping off about this two days before a playoff game, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised by it, even just like, you know, there's a very funny thing that like NFL reporters or NFL media or adjacent types do sometimes where it's like, we suddenly put the script and decide that we should be PR advisors to people, but really we should just ask them questions and report what they say and put them in context and get on with our lives and hug our wives and kids and dogs and succulents and whatever. Uh, but yeah, that one, that one surprised me. Um, <laughs> that one was, was pretty, pretty strange. Um but, yeah, I, to be clear, I don't remember there being a two-for-30 deal. I, I remember something about, like, three-for-40-some and then some not being guaranteed beyond that. But in in any case, yeah, he would have... I think it was that he would get 30 guaranteed in the first two years. Um, but, yeah, that was that was the first time that, like, hmm, this is going to be a little different. I will still say, going into the offseason, I was just like, ah, we'll figure it out. They got close. And remember, he went on... Uh, he said, I want to say at the, yeah, at the Pro Bowl, because remember Mike Tomlin was the Pro Bowl coach that year, and he said that uh, he felt like they were already way closer than they were the previous season. A couple months later, after he did not get uh, franchise tags, he said, um he said what he was going to do was what he had done the, the previous season, which is where he would miss all the offseason activities, Um and he would miss off training camp which he also would not be contractually obligated to do having not signed the tag and then he would show up in week one. And that's when it really took a turn because the, the that first they had a bonus day of practice essentially that week. And players were on I believe the Tuesday at the start of this past season, like, Oh no, it's okay, we haven't really heard from him but like, yeah, I hope you hear here, whatever. I and mean, then he wasn't. And the offensive line, which really, you know, kind of speaks for the for the room a lot of time uh said, you know, guys at like Marquise Thompson and Ramon Foster were, were clearly upset about it. Now, they walked it back the next day, and they would do so throughout the rest of the season. But as, as things wore on, and he eventually missed the deadline where it was like, but you can't come now even if you want to. Uh Guys, guys made it clear that, that they were upset by it. I, I thought Mike Thelman actually did a really good job of, of keeping team focused when really week to week, week to day even, one could wonder when he, you know, maybe on Bell one of the best players of this generation was coming in. Uh and and the team, like those those were actually the best parts of the the season when they were waiting for Le'Veon Bell. Things took a turn shortly after they realized that uh he wasn't coming. But uh I don't know that I would put too much correlation with that. It's just uh deeply ironic in the early days of February now.
2: And we'll get back to that in a second, but first I want to ask you if you remember about this. Just before the Jaguars playoff game, he tweets out, I love round twos, we'll have two round twos in back-to-back weeks, referring to their rematch against the Jaguars, of course, also a possible rematch with the Patriots. That ended up not happening because they lost 45-42. It seemed like a lot of Steelers fans were not pleased with this, and it looked like Le'Veon Bell was looking past the Jaguars. What do you remember about this?
5: I remember distinctly not caring so long as they actually beat the Jaguars, which <laughs> I I thought they would. And had they done so, it's not like it would have gone down as to like a Joe Name It that moment. It just would have been another like you know piece of subtext. So I mean, the Jaguars were like a mid key trash uh, for a playoff team at that point. And um, yeah, no, nah, I mean he probably shouldn't tweet that out, but like we were all thinking it. Mike Tomlin already kind of said it. Like, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where, like, if they go out there and they beat them, then, then we're not having this conversation. If Ben been doesn't, you know, go and get picked off by the Jaguars like he does. Like, we're not having this conversation. If the, if the defense doesn't give up 45 points to Blake Bortles, <laughs> it's literally a punchline in a sitcom, then, like, we might be having this conversation, but it'd be real different.
2: For what it's worth, they did lose that game 45-42, but Bell carried the ball 16 times for 67 yards. And as we know, the Steelers, because it was a shootout, ended up having to throw a lot. So he also caught nine passes for 88 yards and had a receiving touchdown. So not a bad day for Bell despite the loss. And now we get to where we're at now, Jacob. And some of this you already touched on, but I really want to get in-depth on this. 2018 comes. Steelers placed the franchise tag on Le'Veon Bell for the second straight year. He had said he wasn't going to sign it. A lot of these guys say that and then ended up working out a deal or end up signing the tag and relenting because they don't want to give up the 14, 15, 16 million or however much it ends up being. In this case, it was 14.5 million, but Bell sticks to his guns. He wants control of his career. He wants control of his contract. He ends up not reporting to the Steelers prior to the November 13th deadline. And therefore, it makes him ineligible to play in the season. And now, of course, we are where we are. Talk me through the season here. You talked a little bit about it, but tell me about teammate reactions, what people were saying privately and publicly, because you were around the team in a close fashion. Tell me about what was happening.
5: Sure. So again, at first it was like, oh, he'll be here, and then it was when he wasn't. There, there was some
2: some reactions.
5: Why isn't he here? Uh, and, and a lot of, I think Ramon Foster made a comment about, you know, how much Le'Veon Bell makes compared to how much he makes, you know, in a week versus a year. And it was, it was comparable at that point. People were clearly upset initially. Then they kind of like, eh, got over it, but we continue to speculate on it. And then it shifted into more of like, whatever it is, we just wanted to be over. There was a lot out there about him not talking to teammates. That wasn't true. He just wasn't talking to the teammates who, like Ben Roethlisberger, were consistently, you know, Putting, putting him out there, but they weren't talking about football or when he was coming back. It was just, like, he was in various Hayward days. He was, like, a their receiver and, and special teamer, and they were just checking in on each other. It wasn't really like, hey, when you coming? because uh, I guess that wasn't a concern, but yeah, by, by the end of it, you know, players were just like, all right, well, we're going to do it without him. We're going to do it without him. So, even at that point, though, guys like Marquise Compton, who's, you know, been in the league and has some perspective on these things, were just like, now we love living on him. Like, we want him to get paid. Um, you know, we'd love to be playing with him too. But guys, guys do at least kind of see it for for what it is in terms of a, you know, a player leverage perspective. And that is the most fascinating aspect of this to me. That is like the most, like, story, you know, engaging thing for me as a reporter is like, huh, I do wonder how this will change the calculations of, of NFL front offices around the league. Because, you know, what players say is one thing. Ultimately, these guys are pros and it's, and it's pretty, it's a cold business and they do understand that. They go out there and they don't necessarily like each other, but they play football together and it's, and it's nice. But there's never really been a player and certainly not a player as good as Le'Veon Bell who said, this system is broken and I refuse to participate in it insofar as that I will miss not just games, but an entire season on a potentially Super Bowl winning team. Because I think this is this is broken, and I think I deserve, you know, uh, longer-term security, and I think other players do too. He he made uh, a lot of comments about trying to sort of reset the market for running backs in general, and and change the game for for special players financially. I think what happened at the end of it is his agent didn't quite understand. That he didn't need to show up to get into the next year of the franchise tag. So they frankly could have just said from, from the jump, like, well, we're not playing this year. And then, and then killed a lot of the, uh, frankly, you know, media narrative around it, given that the Steelers don't negotiate multi-year contracts or, or contract extensions during the season. They don't sign them anyway. Um, there wasn't really anything else that was going to happen at that point, but the idea of, of transforming the, the, market for players is deeply fascinating to me. You could make the case that he already had some effect on it in, in the deal that Todd Gurley got sort of while this whole story it was brewing, but I mean, the next time there is a Le'Veon Bell, I, I bet he gets paid more and sooner than the Le'Veon Bell has a bid.
2: Le'Veon Bell now going to be an unrestricted free agent. If you were the Jets, would you try to sign Le'Veon Bell, and what kind of contract would you be willing to offer him? Would you be willing to offer him pretty much whatever it would take?
5: I mean, if I was a billionaire and I owned a football team, yeah, I'd, I'd basically pay him like Antonio Brown was getting paid. What, 68 over the course of four years, average of 17. Um, you know, those, those big chunk averages are... Uh, can be misleading because these contracts tend to be very backloaded, but when, when we're talking about 30 and 40 million dollar signing bonuses. Yeah, now he's worth it. Um D'Angelo Williams, who was like a character and a half to cover, uh, as when he was with the Steelers in the, in the last couple of years of his career, said something interesting to me, and it was, it was on the record. He said, you know, guys don't get paid for their future performance or their present performance. They're getting paid for their past performance. Now that's not a hundred percent the case. Like teams do make a calculation about what they think a guy is about to do, and the fact that Le'Veon Bell didn't play a year is double edged. I'd be very curious to see what your what your uh, film guy says, because his film was incredible. I know some of his like yards per carry stats get thrown around in the context of you know what James Conner did last season and things like that, but we're talking about a transcendent talent. We're talking about if the NFL is an entertainment product, and I know it's structured for like everyone to go 8 and 8 and no one to really care or have that much of an incentive to win, but like if I'm trying to put on a show, if I have a billions of dollars and like hardly a care in the world, and I'm just going to be watching this game for my suite anyway, yeah, I'll throw an extra few million a year, Le'Veon Bell's way, so I get to watch arguably the most electrifying player since Barry Sanders, like do whatever it is he does. And I'll deal with his Instagram posts and I'll subsidize his marijuana habit if he has one in the off season. Like, well, I care. He's amazing.
2: We're going to find out if the Jets or some other team agrees with you and is willing to give him a huge contract, a Todd Gurley-esque contract. It's going to be a fascinating free agency. And for the second year in a row... We have a player headlining it that nobody ever expected to reach free agency. Of course, Kirk Cousins last year, and this year, Le'Veon Bell. Jacob Klinger, who's a beat writer for Penn Live covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I hope we no, can talk again no, soon.
5: No, 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 no. I have a question for you. Okay. Now, now that we've gotten to this point, which NFL principal owner do you think is most likely to smoke weed with his players?
2: <laughs> that's a great question. Wow, I never thought of that. Hmm,
5: not me either. I'm truly, I'm truly struck by it.
2: Let me see. Who would be? I would think it would be one of the younger owners. Can we count the younger con from the Jaguars, the one who just invested in the wrestling company because his father's oh, the yes. principal owner? But if we're counting him because he's one of the owners, then he's my right. pick. Your pick? Yeah,
5: um, that's that's a good one. Oh, isn't the isn't the Seahawks owner like one of those like tech bro guys? Yeah, where, I like, could
2: see that. Paul Allen, yeah, I could see yeah. that one too.
5: Like it'd be it'd be really weird to smoke with him, but like he'd do it, you know? Let's see. Not not Art Rooney the second, I don't <laughs> think. Probably probably none of the Mara family at the Giants.
2: I would think Woody Johnson would probably not be one of the people on the no? list either.
5: He might be one of those. He might be one of those, like, old guys who just, you know, never gave it up, but.
2: It's true, it's possible.
5: <laughs> Dan Snyder, no way. Oh my god, can you. Wow, that would be terrible. Can you imagine? Oh. He might no want
2: to start smoking weed, he might make better decisions. <laughs>
5: yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask all of my friends about this.
2: You know what, the next time you come on, this will be the first topic that we address because we'll have more time to think about it and we can do a whole thing on it. It'll be fun to delve into it. We Perhaps, a Yeah, we a should. Bracket. We should do like a March Madness bracket and everything. Perhaps we can tie it around uh, Antonio Brown or another Le'Veon Bell podcast if one of those two finds their way to the Jets. But for now, thank you so much uh, for coming on. I
5: want on. them to go to the same place so bad. I, I just like... I need it for my mentions.
2: I would think the two of them would do great together anywhere they go. I mean, two of the best players in the NFL, right?
5: Oh, man. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of mutual respect there. Everything being what it was past days, there's, there's a lot of respect between those guys. And, um, yeah, I know. And I just, I just need like, a uh, like post climate apocalyptic mentions.
2: So, <laughs> well, Jacob, that is one interesting motivation. I'll say that I wasn't expecting that answer. But while we wait to see how things shake out for Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, why don't you go ahead and let people know where they can find you?
5: Yeah, speaking of my mention, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, it's at Jacob underscore Klinger underscore the Klinger with a K, so like the dude from Mash.
2: And, of course, you can check out his work at Live, where he is covering the Pittsburgh Steelers. You can read all the offseason stuff if you want to know about Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, or pretty much anybody else involving the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jacob, thanks so much for coming on, man. I hope we can do this again soon.
5: Yeah, thank you.
2: My pleasure, Jacob. And you definitely gave me something to think about as far as the owners. I'm going to have to put my brain on that one and really think and I'll have an answer for you the next time we talk. And hey, if you're listening to this and you have your own answer as to which owner you would pick, feel free to tweet it at Jacob or I. All answers are welcome. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow Don and Jacob on Twitter, read their work, and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com